All right, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 uh, this morning. Uh, so many surprises. Uh, that's what it said at the end of our uh, pageant this morning. Uh, we just heard that there's so many prizes, surprises to us, but God knew uh, his plan all along. Uh, are you a person who loves surprises? I've, I've told you as a congregation before, I don't like being surprised. Uh, when people jump out from behind something, I tend to swing and kick and bite and fight back. Uh, rather than enjoy being surprised. But I do like surprising other people. Uh, this time of year, uh, we get to talk about the greatest surprise of all of this Christmas celebration. Uh, when a new baby is born, uh, there's all kinds of videos, particularly this year in 2020, there's all types of videos of people surprising friends and family and letting them know that there is a, a new baby coming, whether it's through a confetti cannon or different ways, a, a cake that's been cut apart, all types of neat things that happen with that. Uh, once you know that a baby is going to be born, uh, you send out what? You send out the birth announcement to everyone. And uh, it's been a few years. It's been six, seven years since I've had a new baby uh, in the house. And so I'm a little bit uh, rusty at this. I didn't realize that since, uh, since we've stopped having new babies that the, the, the postcard game has really been taken up to another level. Do you realize this? Uh, I, I did some research, so maybe I would like to see what, what we've seen. So here's what I would call a typical birth Announcement. This is what maybe I would have experienced five or six years ago. Uh, Lillian is going to be born. Uh, make sure you go to Target and get registered and buy us lots of gifts because we need stuff, right? Uh, so that's what this announcement is doing. But here's the second one. Uh, this Max, he's, he's on a wanted poster uh, right out of the gate. I mean, this is, this is like setting a really bad precedent for his goals in life, don't you think? Uh, as you're setting things up for that. What about this one? Uh, this one is uh, probably for the Rich Bart family. If you're watching, this is a math problem. Uh, and you got to figure this thing out. I'm, you have to be good at math because is Cindy having twins? I'm not really sure. Uh, you got to be careful. You just got to be careful. I just want to say that going into it. Uh, this one is for the 80s music fans out there. See if you can figure this one out. Ah, there it is. A couple of you got it. Yeah, ice, ice, baby. You get it there? da da na 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 Yeah? All right, not for everybody. Okay, finally, uh, this one you might like. The eviction notice, please note that you're required to vacate the premises within 27 weeks. I hate to tell you, little guy, but you're going to spend the rest of your life in tears when your little sister uh, shows up. And then here's the last one that probably seems most applicable to us uh, today. Special delivery. Mommy, where do babies come from? Uh, the UPS. Yep. And so uh, here, <laughs> here we are. So let's talk about it. Why would we do this? Uh, why talk about birth announcements? Because what we're discussing today, uh, what was just shown in this kids' pageant video, is the grandest, most exciting, most epic birth announcement of all time. And it's recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. If you've got a copy of God's Word, let's open it up. It'll be on the screen for you here in just a second. We're going to read it together. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. I'm going to start reading for us. Here we go. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this story. Lord, we pray that as we read it this morning, that it would come alive for us again, that we would leave here together changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So this is a very familiar passage. And the problem with familiar passages is that familiar passages over time start to lose their impact. That's what ends up happening. So let's dive in here for a moment. First, we've got to talk about uh, the setting. Let's talk first about these shepherds. Shepherds were not major players in the first century. Shepherds were not getting invited to anybody's parties. You were not inviting over all the shepherds uh, for dinner. They, they were not uh, the key uh, invitation there for the festivals that were being had in the town. No one aspired to be a shepherd. Nobody went to their guidance counselor their freshman year and said, what classes do I have to take in order to set myself up for success when I go to Shepherd Academy for college? This is not at all what is going on for shepherds. Shepherds were outcasts. Shepherds were uh, set up so that they, uh, because of their profession, uh, they are living in these gypsy camps outside of town. And as they are living there, they are uh, unclean because of their profession. And what that meant was that ceremonially, it would take them not only a day, but multiple days uh, to clean themselves up properly enough in ceremonial washing uh, process in order to participate in the, the Jewish, religious, and uh, gathering process uh, each time that they got together. So because of this, shepherds uh, were considered unclean, often considered ignorant, often considered untrustworthy or even suspect. These are the shepherds. And on the night described here by the author Luke, on that night there are a few of them keeping watch or they're, or they're looking out making sure there's no predators out there uh, coming after their sheep. There's a few of them laying out, looking up at the sky, trying to maybe fall asleep, catch a few hours of sleep before their hours of watch were going to come later where they would be watching for those same predators. And the rest of them would be huddled around the small crackling fire, uh, sharing stories about the day, or just trying to get warm on a crisp, cool night. Other than the sound of the sheep bleeding from time to time, and other than the sound of that crackle of that fire, or of the people murmuring back and forth there at the fireside, it was going to be dark and quiet. It's just another night. Just another night out there in the fields. And even that fire, the fire that had been blazing and maybe an hour earlier had now started to burn down. It was just the embers left and it's, it's beginning to cool off. And, and while you can still warm yourself there by the fire, it is no longer uh, setting off the glow that it once had. And now the quiet, it seems like the fire is even beginning to quiet down to just a whisper. It was quiet. It was still. And then it happened. Then it happened. The night sky erupted and light tore apart the sky. The glory of God floods the landscape. Everywhere you look, the glory of God, just like uh, almost 6,000 years, excuse me, 2,000 years previously, the, that Moses, the prophet, one of their ancestors, the, the glory of God literally pressed him to the ground. And you can imagine the same thing happens uh, with the shepherds here. They're lying on their faces before the glory of God. The Shekinah glory of God is all around them, and it is so bright and so powerful. They're lying there prostrate before him, covering themselves with their claws, with their, with their coats, covering their heads, trying to shield themselves from what they are experiencing. And out of these heavenly floodlights steps this being, this angel. And while his appearance was absolutely terrifying, 
the words that he said were not. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for all people, he said. And as the shepherds begin to gather themselves back together, put themselves back together, they listened as the angel went on. He said, today in the city of David, there is a Savior that's been born to you, Christ the Lord. They couldn't believe what they were seeing, and now they couldn't believe what they were hearing. Could this be, could this be the day? Could this be the day that prophets had talked about? The day that they had been telling all of their ancestors had been talking about this day, waiting for the coming king. Waiting for the king who in their lineage, even the kings had talked about this, that in their lineage there would one day come a king who would rule and reign and defeat all enemies. And there would be a day that he would come and arrive and be victorious. Could this really be the day? Could this really be happening? So the shepherds, they stood there, gasping, gasping for breath, taking in the brilliance, the beauty of the moment. And then, when it seems like they couldn't have imagined even that much more, it seems like the camera pans back, the view widens up even that much more, and the glory of God once again expands even more across the whole sky than not only one angel, but an entire chorus of angels singing and praising God. Heaven erupts, the fireworks go off. Glory to God on the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill towards men. Can you imagine that? Can you put yourself in that moment? There you are. You're watching your sheep. You're minding your own business. And boom! Some alien light force being appears to you in the middle of a field. You have no idea what is going on. These shepherds, we have no evidence that these shepherds had ever seen an angel before. When we look at Scripture all the way through the Old Testament and going into the New Testament, every time an angel shows up, it's well documented. They talked about it. So there is not any previous example that these guys had ever experienced anything like this before. We know when and where angels were sighted, and there had not been any activity like this. There had been not any spiritual activity in the area, that's for sure, and certainly because there had not been any activity at all between God and man for more than 400 years. This angel is terrifying. He would have an ominous presence at any time at any place, if he had walked into the market there at Bethlehem at high noon, like, like in a western, like he walks in and the angels at the end of the street, everything would stop, everything would freeze, tumbleweeds would roll by, right? The angel is here and everything would stop. Everyone would be looking at this angel, this incredible being. Everything would stop. But it didn't happen at high noon. It happened in the middle of the night. Would you agree with me? Things are a little bit, uh, everything gets ramped up a little bit at night. It's just a little bit more intense. Ever got scared by something in the middle of the night that normally would not be scary whatsoever? When it happens in the middle of the night, it is terrifying. Going down into the basement and changing over your laundry uh, from the washer to the dryer can be a horrific experience during the night. And this is the environment that the angel shows up. This happened at night, and it says that they were in a fit of terror. Their whole bodies were shaking. They were in fear. 
And yet, the angel spoke words of peace. He declared that the reason why he had even shown up in the first place. He was there on a mission of announcement. He had something to announce, a birth announcement. And he said, I bring you good news of great joy, deep, overwhelming, life-changing, life-altering joy. And this is the best part. He said it would be available for what? For all people. Do you know what that means? That means not only in our imagination are we being placed into the story, but actually we are being placed into the story right here, right now, because all people encompasses all people of all time. Not just the people that were there listening to this pronouncement, not just the people that were in the region uh, who heard the shepherds firsthand when they came, but all people of all of time, this is good news of great joy. Now, I don't know what all of you do for a living. I don't know where you work or, or how many zeros are attached to your, to your salary at the end of the year. But what I do know is that deep down, deep down inside of all of us, there's this fear. There's this concern. There's this worry that, that to the people around us, the people that we interact with, that, that we are not as significant as we think that we are, or they do not view us in the same way. And that perhaps they never say anything, but they actually think that you and I are actually expendable and are of little importance to them. At one point or another, uh, maybe even at one point this week, uh, there, was, there was a situation where something happened at work, the, the word went around the office, the emails went around the office, and some reason you were the last one to find out about that email or about that news. Or, or in some social circle that you're in, uh, whether it's an online platform or in a personal interaction, that, that seems like everybody else in the room knew what was going on. You were the last to know. You were the last to receive the news, and it made you feel insignificant. It made you feel like you weren't important enough to be shared with. Maybe it was even in your family texting group that you were trying to make plans for the holidays, make plans for what are you going to do at Christmas, on Christmas Eve, what are you going to do? And it seemed like somewhere along the way there was a side conversation happening somewhere and you didn't find out that that side conversation happened and now you are the last to know. Well, not here. Not in this case. No, the angel makes it very clear. He makes it abundantly clear, in fact, that this birth announcement, this birth announcement was not just for the shepherds. This birth announcement was not just for those who were in the surrounding areas. This was for all people. All people there, all people in time, all people that would come for all of time. This is the good news. This is the good news of great joy. This is meant for everyone. And here's the first part of the good news. Today is the day. Today is the day. We need to be reminded when we look at this passage, we look at this simple verse, that this happened on a day. Don't miss that. It's a day in history. Not a day in some mythological, imaginary story, but a day that what? That Caesar Augustus was the emperor of Rome. Quirinius was the governor of Syria. It was a day that had been planned in eternity before creation of the world. Indeed, the universe, the untold light years of the galaxies and space and billions of stars were all created so that this glorious moment could come to light. And this is what it meant for human history, that today is the day. You can go. You can go right now and see it happening. That's what the angel was saying. The city of David. 
It happened in a city. It didn't happen in Narnia. It didn't happen in Middle Earth. It didn't happen in a galaxy far, far away. No, it happened in a city. A city that from here is about 7,000 miles away from Buffalo, New York. A city that still exists today. Go visit there someday. It still exists. It's a place. The city is real, and the city's name is Bethlehem. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, we read that Joseph went up from Galilee to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, six miles away from Jerusalem. Bethlehem, the city where Jesse lived. Bethlehem, the city where his son David would become the great king of Israel. Bethlehem, the city that Micah prophesied about when he said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, for out of you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Bethlehem. And the angel says, Good news. Great joy in the city of David. Today is the day. And here's the second part of the good news. To you is the Savior. To you is the Savior. So if you have ever sinned, you need a Savior. If you've ever sinned against God, you need a Savior. Remember, we just read this great news, this great news that's available to what? To all people. But in Romans 3, chapter 23, verse 23, we read, for all have sinned. So the reality is this news would be available for all people because all people had sinned. And all people need a Savior. And just like the angel had said to Joseph nine months previously when he visited him, he said, you shall call his name Jesus. He gave him the instruction. He said, you will save his people from their sins. See, only God Only God can forgive sins against God. That's why God sent his eternal son, the God son, to come into the world because he is God. Jesus would tell his disciples later, the son of man, he said, has authority on earth to forgive sins. Do you remember what a hubbub there was in the community when he said something like that? He said, not only are you able to heal, but you say you are able to do what? To forgive sins? Savior has come. Therefore, a Savior had been born. And to clarify even further, the Savior, it said the one who's been born, he is the Christ. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, the long-predicted, long-awaited, the one anointed above all others, the final anointed king. And the angel said, he has been born to you. You see, this is where the familiar has to be poked at, has to be prodded out a little bit to make sure that this has not uh, gotten inconsequential in our lives, that we haven't missed this. Just because this passage is not familiar, now it doesn't mean that we can dismiss it. This passage tells us that the Savior, the Messiah, the anointed King is accessible to you and to me. The creator of the universe, the one who put the billions of stars in the sky, has now made himself available, has moved into the neighborhood. Born to you. Born to make himself available to you. Born to give hope, peace, security, significance. But don't miss this. He is born Christ, the Lord. He is not Christ the helpful. 
No, he is not here to give you assistance when you need it. He is not Christ the easily ignored. He is not born so that you can utilize his promises when you want to utilize them and then ignore his commands when they don't seem like they are helpful or that you don't want to obey them. He is not Christ the easily managed. He has not been born to you so you can put him on a box up on the shelf and get him down when it's appropriate or you want to spruce up some things in your life or you want to make some New Year's resolutions and make some changes in your life. You want to get that box down and utilize it because now it's convenient for you. No. The angel says he is Christ the Lord. Let me ask you this question. God has a plan for your life. We just heard it in the pageant, that his plan is spectacular. It was a surprise, but it was God's plan all along. So now compare God's plan to your plan for your life. Now, if you're honest, do you, actually, do you believe that God's plan for your life is better or worse than your plan for your life? Is God's plan, God's plan for your life better or worse than your plan for your life? These shepherds were receiving the good news of great joy. But don't you think that God could have released this information a little bit sooner? Don't you think, I don't know, maybe 200 years, 300 years previously, don't you think they would have been excited to have heard that news then? Like, why would his plan, why did he wait so long? Why would he put the Jews through this? Why stress them out? Why make them wait for so long? Why allow the Roman government to come in and put a crushing control over them? Why? Because he's God. And his ways are higher than our ways. His plans are greater than our plans because he is Lord. Romans 5, 6 tells us, at just the right time, God sent his son. Jesus came at just the right time, the exact perfect moment of time. It was the right time in history Jesus was born. The coming of Christ was not a matter of coincidence. It was a matter of choice, a heavenly choice by God, the creator of the universe, that this is when he would make himself available through his son, Jesus Christ. And the angel tells us, today is the day. To you is the Savior. He is Christ the Lord. And finally, he declares, and the heavenly, the heavenly hosts declare this, to God be the glory. The coming of this child will be the greatest revelation of the glory of God, even among the heights of heaven. And the coming of this child will bring peace to all of God's people, that one day all of the earth will be filled with righteousness and with peace. You know, so first, God is glorified because this child is born. So all glory to God. And second, peace would be spread everywhere on the earth because they are going as this child is being received. These are the great purposes that Christ has for the coming of Jesus. Glory is ever ascending from man to God. And peace is ever descending from God to man. So glory is sung out from men, uh, sung out from angels here in the fields even for the sake of his name. God's peace is lived out among men for the sake of his name. And there's hardly a better way to sum up what, what God is about, to, to sum up what his work is about, what his plan is about. Because he created the world and then he came to reclaim the world in the name of Jesus Christ to do what? For his glory and for our peace. This is the good news. This brings great joy. 
This is for all people to hear. So at the end of the day, we need to be reminded that this is not a pageant. This is not a story that is mystical and a story that is just fun to play along with little kids. This is the greatest story ever told. Now, in my life and my background, this is a story that our family has been telling for years, for generations even. My grandmother insisted that every year when we gathered everyone together, that the grandkids, all of the grandkids were going to reenact the nativity story there in her house every year at Christmas time. That was part of the time. Before we could open presents, we'd have to put on the crown and put on the costumes and walk in and carry the, the three wise men would have to carry the presents. This was all happening in her living room every year. We could not touch the presents until that happened. And there was a, a thin cable that ran across the living room. It was there all year long. She never took it down. That was where the stage was. She was going to hang the curtains on that cable so that we could pull the curtains between scenes. It was always there. It was always reminding us. And, and maybe I, I kind of ended up with a theater background in high school. I did a lot of things. Maybe it started right there of acting there in the family, uh, being able to do those things and be able to, to perform this story. And in high school, we had a group of kids. It wasn't a very big youth group. It was eight or nine kids in our youth group. And this Christmas story was part of uh, things that we would do. But then occasionally we would start to go from church to church and share the gospel through uh, theatrical kind of presentations. So this was kind of in the back of my mind when I became a youth pastor in the early 2000s, a youth director and worship leader at a church, a small church, a little Baptist church in Beaufort, South Carolina. And I decided that this was going to be the year that the student ministry kind of stepped out of their bubble and we were going to share the Christmas story. And we were going to share nearly the entirety of Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 and we were going to do it from memory verbatim. Here we go. And I, with all of my musical experience, I, with all of my theater background from high school, and I, with all of my living room Christmas pageant experience, I would betroth to them. I would give them, um, bestow on them all of this inspiration and motivation as their director. It was going to be fantastic. This would, I would bring out something from them that had never been there before. I would draw it out of them, and this would be a life-changing experience. They would be able to accomplish things they never imagined before. This is what would happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. Uh, in the end, these kids couldn't memorize any of their lines. I mean, they didn't memorize anything. It, it's like they didn't try at all. And so eventually we changed everything. We said, okay, I guess uh, we're going to have to do a reader's theater. And, and that can be done well. You've probably seen that done well. You can, you can read through the script, and, and we divvied up the script to different parts and give different kids different parts, and some of them actually read with emotion. Some of them actually were able to, to articulate themselves well. And you kind of traded things back and forth and be able to articulate the story with, with feeling and with flair. But now at the great climax of the story, I had a major, major problem. The kid that I had casted as the lead angel, primarily because he was at least a foot taller than all of his peers, so he, in, in turn, had an ominous presence about him. When he was delivering his lines with some really terrible acting from the rest of the shepherds going, oh no, you know, that type of thing. Uh, he, he was delivering his lines, and he delivered them with all of the gusto of a Star Wars droid. All of his lines were very, very bad. He read very, very 
slow. He was expressionless and emotionless in the city of David, Christ the Lord. Horrible. And, and somehow, this kid had sucked all of the life out of the greatest birth story, the greatest announcement that could ever be shared, and he had killed it. Well, here's the thing. Turns out, because I mean, I put the pressure on him, because the rest of the kids were doing their job. This was a, he was a good athlete, he was a good kid, and for some reason, like, why won't you just try? And it seemed like the closer and closer we got to the performance, the level of, of uh, dramatic flair that he had just got narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower. Here's what, here's what ended up happening. He was diagnosed later with a rare form of a mild form of narcolepsy. So what that means, and it was stress-induced. And so what that means is that he literally was saying his lines, and the, and the walls were closing in, and he was sleepwalking while he was doing this. And this was the first example. The family hadn't experienced this before. Later, they would get worse and worse, but they hadn't experienced this before, that he literally, after the performance, the next day in the afternoon, he took a nap and woke up five days later. It was anxiety and stress-driven. And so the more pressure I put on this guy, the more stress that somebody build, began to build up, and the worse it got. And do you know who was at fault? I was! But do you know what else? A couple years later, after we learned the diagnosis and learned what was going on, he missed summer camp a few years. I believe he missed his own prom. A lot of different things like that. But I was also there. I got to be there when Cameron was baptized. When Cameron was baptized and he stood there in front of his friends in that small church, that Baptist church, and he shared the most heartfelt that I maybe have ever heard from a youth. Uh, the, the way that that student shared his, his life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. The way that, that God had come into his life and transformed him, and this is why he wanted to be baptized. The words, the good news of the gospel going forth out of that kid's lips in that moment changed that congregation and that people way more than if he had ever read his lines correctly for the Christmas story. Do you know why? Because it's good news, great joy for all people. And Cameron, Cameron is all people, and he got to share it after all. In just a moment, Pastor Mario will be up here and we're going to sing a song, O Come, All You Faithful. We need to be reminded this morning, let's keep in mind that Jesus didn't come only for the faithful. He came for the faithless. He came for those who, who didn't want anything to do with him. You may be here this morning and the good news that you're hearing, you've heard it before, you've heard it in different ways, but you didn't ever grab a hold of that good news because it was too common. It was too easy. It was too normal. But Jesus didn't come. He wasn't born into this world only for the faithful. No, he was born for those who were not only faithless, but those who were an enemy of his. He came not for the righteous, he said, but for the sinners. Jesus said that the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick need a doctor. And I'm going to come for them. I'll be their physician. He came for the hurting. He came for the doubters. He came for those who had gotten written off, and they want nothing to do with them. And he came for one reason and one reason alone. So that the faithless could become the faithful. And it all started there in a field with the most 
epic and beautiful birth announcement ever. So that transition doesn't happen from faithless to faithful because of your righteousness, but because of his righteousness. Not because of what you have done, but because of what he has done. Because of who Jesus is and he came for you. So come. Come, all ye faithless. Come and sing. He will make you joyful and triumphant. Christ is here today to you, to God be the glory.